Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 495, Positive Psychology in Business. Today we're going to be talking about just that, positive psychology, what it is and how it applies to business. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working the Engage Successful team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a best way to work, releasing more of the capability and potential of, pe- of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Professor Elona Bonnewell, who's on UL and Okay, hello Joe. I'm so glad to be here today. So just um, to introduce myself, I'm both an academic in positive psychology for the past 25 years, working at the University of East London and running a master's program in positive psychology and also a doctorate program in positive psychology. And I'm also a consultant and I run my own company called Positron. And as part of this, I work all around the world with absolutely amazing clients, mainly on issues around engagement. Glad to be here. Lovely. Lovely, excellent. So you've been working in the field of positive psychology for almost 25 years. Um, so clearly an expert in it. But you know, let's start by introducing what it is to our listeners. Um, you know, words that people hear, and I'm, I'm sure everyone's got their own sort of view of what that means. But what actually is positive psychology? Well, um, I think it's important to define absolutely. Positive psychology is the science of optimal human functioning. And it is a scientific study that originally was established in 1998 by Professor Martin Seligman. And the idea of positive psychology was really that psychology as a science, a science, the profession is kind of stuck, stuck in understanding what's wrong, what's not working, how do we help people who are struggling, how do we treat mental health problems, basically. But psychology is not just that, right? Psychology is also about normal people, about I mean, normal, obviously, in sort of quotation marks, but sort of people, everyday people, people who just work and go to work every day, and it's not just about people who are struggling. So positive psychology came really as a current, as a discipline specifically to readdress this sort of problem of being stuck just treating something that's not working, to understand how can people actually flourish at work and everywhere else, how can they function better, how they can use their strengths more, understand happiness, well-being, and all those wonderful topics, but all of it from the perspective of science. So positive psychology is a scientific study, and that's really, really important because as positive psychology became hugely popular, hugely everywhere, I would say, sometimes we just forget that it's actually based on science. It's not just a popular topic, even though, of course, it's now taught at universities everywhere, but it is a scientific study enabling us to understand what helps human beings to flourish. So can we explore that a bit further for exactly that reason that, as you say, I think um, people sort of have a a view of what they think positive psychology is. Um, And and possibly a lot of people don't realise that it is grounded in science. Um, what, what are the sort of key fundamentals, if you like? What are the, the, the key 
points that, that it's important for people to understand to understand yeah. what psychology is and why well, well I think yeah, yes, I think it's really, really important to understand that whatever conclusions are being made within positive psychology, they are all grounded in research. So when we are saying we're studying well-being, we can define well-being, what well-being is, for example. We can define it in a rather precise manner. We can distinguish between hedonic well-being, for example, and demonic well-being. We can operationalize well-being in a workplace, for example. When we study engagement, the same thing. We can actually define it in a very precise way. We can measure it. We can also measure predictors, for example, of well-being and engagement in the workplace. So I think the main sort of key point of positive psychology is whatever we are saying, we are measuring it. And when you measure something, when you actually do research, it actually means that sometimes the conclusions may change on the way. So, for example, we used to say we need minimum three to one ratio of positive to negative emotions. That was originally based on science. And then new discoveries came in, and this particular conclusion was sort of questioned. And nowadays we still do say, based on science, we need more positive emotions than negative emotions in the workplace, for example, for people to flourish. However, we cannot give this precise number because this number was challenged by science. So what's really, really important is to understand that when we do have scientific conclusions, they can challenge different conclusions, existing conclusions, and therefore we can involve our understanding and therefore practice. So mm-hmm. if you want to see what type of topics positive psychology studies, there's actually quite a few, so obviously not only well-being and not only engagement, but also meaning, strengths in the workplace, for example, uh, positive education, uh, positive psychology coaching, how do we bring positive psychology into coaching, uh, how do we understand emotions better, how do we, for example, understand how to make better relationships uh, in the workplace or anywhere else, and there are tons of topics, I would say hundreds of topics nowadays studied by positive psychology. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about um, your definition or positive psychology definition of engagement. Well, uh, I think it's a really good starting point, in fact, because uh, when we do look at different definitions of engagement, there are quite a few different, I would say, business definitions. And within positive psychology, we stick, of course, to business as well, but at the same time to scientific definitions. And I would say the best definition of engagement scientifically has been developed by somebody called Wilma Schofferly, and it defines engagement as vigor, dedication, and absorption. So vigor basically meaning that at work, somebody has energy, feels strong, actually. They wake up in the morning and they feel like going to work. Dedication means they find that their work is full of meaning and purpose, uh, they're inspired by their job, they're proud to be in this particular line of work. And absorption is another word I would say for flow, flow experience. When somebody's working, they forget almost everything else about, around them. They, they feel fully immersed in their work and will carry it away when they're working. And so my definition of engagement would be very much relying on this particular uh, characteristics, bigger dedication and absorption. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lovely. And so what do you think, um, from your experience, obviously as a, a researcher and a practitioner in positive psychology, what the principal drivers of engagement at work are, because, you know, we've just defined what it is. <laughs> um, yes, of course. And, you know, it'd be great to, to work out what the, 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 what's actually making that happen, from your view. Well, 
Uh, well, as well, I mean, I, I'd like to say there is just one particular driver. There isn't. There are tons of drivers, lots and lots of different drivers. We can group them, let's say, in three categories. Uh, organizational drivers, uh, for example, climate of trust, uh, the leadership, managerial support, uh, how much we are paid and to what extent it's fair, work conditions, and, and to what extent the organization has a certain mission, for example. Then you have another group of conditions, group of drivers, which are more related to what people have in their job, job work, uh, job role resources, for example. And this is much more about to what extent people would have autonomy in their work, and they can define what it is that they're doing, to what extent they have mastery or feeling of mastery that they're progressing somewhere, having good relationships, especially with their team members, uh, having a clear idea of what it is that they that's expected of them. So clarity and structure is another really important driver. And of course, variety as well, to what extent our tasks are actually varied and not boring. And and also to what extent people find meaning in what they're doing. And then there is a third group, I would say, of drivers. And these are drivers which kind of move belong to the person themselves. So personal individual resources, because not everything depends on the organization or particular conditions of your job, a lot depends as well on what people bring themselves to work. And here we're talking about vitality, basically having the energy, good health, and that's really, really important. Uh, cognitive flexibility, the capacity to see things from different perspectives, um, the capacity to deal with one's emotions, so emotional agility, some of the time competence capacities as well, positive mindset, to what extent we have this optimistic, a little bit outlook on life and a bit of self-efficacy, and also meaning in life. And so when we look at all these drivers, of course, uh, we do find scientifically that all of them do explain a little percentage of variance in terms of engagement outcomes. So they're all important, but to various degree. Some of them are more important for, for example, work satisfaction. Some of them are more important for engagement. Some of them are more important for work performance, for example. And, but they're all important for engagement. However, what is the most important? If you actually just look at the engagement, what's the most important? And well, what's the most important, it's really interesting what transpires, the most important drivers for engagement is really the combination of meaning drivers. So kind of combination of this big organizational mission, so I believe uh, in the purpose, basically in, in the purpose of my organization and the mission of my organization, and I find inspiring, then uh, the, the actual meaning somebody finds in their own job, contributing, basically feeling that their job is contributing to something, and also surprisingly enough, the meaning they have in their own life. And this is something we found in our research, we've done a lot of research um, on engagement at work, and we were very, very surprised to find that the single individual driver, the most predictive of engagement, is actually people, meaning people find in their own life, individual lives, not necessarily within their work. So I would say the combination of the three drivers, mission, uh, uh, meaning at work, and meaning in life, these three together predict engagement the most. Does it make sense? Yeah, so are we saying sort of happier people? So when you talk about meaning in their own life, sort of almost happier people are more likely to be engaged at work naturally. Is that it's, it's not about hap- 
yeah, it's not necessarily about happier people. They are not because happiness, again, we can, we can measure happiness or happiness outside of work or happiness within work, etc. It's not necessarily talking about happier people. It is actually saying that people who know what they're doing here in this world, basically, and who know what purpose their job is serving and who believe in organizational mission, these people are for my, far more likely to be engaged. Yeah, that's what yeah. they're saying here. Yeah. So there's basically meaning, meaning so for this individual level, job level, organization level, meaning being really the key driver of engagement overall. And how has that been discovered? So we talk about linking well, this to, you know, being scientific. <laughs> um, yeah, how do we yeah. know that? Well, how do we know that? Uh, we've been working uh, with another colleague, from Dr. Evgeny Osen, on operationalizing drivers on many of uh, engagement and well-being over the, for the past seven years. And then we developed an instrument called Positive Organizational Profile that has actually been, has actually been published now uh, scientifically as well. And we use this instrument using all these different drivers to measure engagement and well-being in the workplace of various organizations, including one very large set of all stuff, I would say, um, so one very large organization, not organization itself, being uh, the governmental, all governmental workforce of the Emirati government. So we're talking about 40 different organizations within these measures. And so we've been using all this data to actually see what predicts engagement the most. So this particular conclusion I'm sharing with you is based on this very, I would say, comprehensive piece of research carried out for private and public clients around the world, including basic organizations with up to 40,000 members. Wow. Okay, so fairly different then. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's relatively substantial. They can be much, much larger in terms of samples. We are talking about the, approximately in total about 50,000, 60,000 people, uh, but still a relatively substantial sample to actually draw some conclusions from, because very often mm -hmm. we would just go with six sort of the most quantities, what it is they are measuring, but more scientifically based measures allow us to really distinguish which particular driver perhaps is the most important. So this is the conclusion, yeah. the most important driver is basically meaning at all the three different levels. Yeah, okay. And so what can we do to help employees find meaning at work? I mean, we talk in the movement about our four enablers and one of them is the strategic narrative and how important it is to have that in place, but also as an engaging manager, how important it is to be able to link employees and the work that they do every day with that strategic narrative. Um, I, I'm presuming that's, that's going to appear somewhere in here, but you know, what, what can we do to help our employees find that meaning? Absolutely. Yes, strategic narrative is appearing here, absolutely, because when we are talking how to engage uh, people from the organizational perspective, what's really, really important is to have this vision and mission and to be very clear about it, the strategic narrative, so be very authentic about it, and uh, really make sure that um, just to demonstrate how each employee's contribution matters. So it's really, really important to emphasize the metric here. Uh, so what can you do in a very concrete way? For example, it's really important to invest in, in really telling well the company's story, for example, because very often when they're talking about strategic narrative, we are talking about something in the future. And sometimes we forget about sort of really sharing what has happened in the past. So I remember one of my clients, 
um, a French telecom, uh, and actually so we talked about this particular technique and strategy to really bring to the fore uh, the company story, and they said, oh, well, it's true, actually, what we realized that we keep saying that for many, many years, we've been struggling with mental health difficulties at work, and we finally succeeded in overcoming that, and so our employees are mentally healthy, but, which is kind of fine as a, as a story, but what we never tell anybody is that actually it is our company that's responsible for bringing internet to France. And they never share mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really interesting because they almost forgot to share that the most fundamental part of their story. And people need stories because we relate to stories fundamentally. We find ourselves in stories. So this narrative, not only future-focused narrative, but also past-focused narrative is extremely important. Or, for example, of course, uh, sort of positioning purpose of a profit because we do know that people are purpose maximizers, not necessarily profit maximizers. So it's fundamentally really standing for the fact that we do believe in what it is we are doing or how we contribute to the world rather than just making money fundamentally, which of course, so we, cannot, we cannot forget that the business of business is business, as somebody once said. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it is at the same time contributing to the world. Um, else investing in the tradition uh, symbols, rituals, traditions, this is all things which enable emotional connection to the company and also facilitate organizational change. So that's really, really, really important. Um, of course, um, investing in, in, in more ecological approach to IT nowadays is extremely important, uh, standing for what it is that we believe in terms of, for example, investing into a care culture so we do employees do see that people are on the look after, on the look after each other, for example, look out after each other and have an overall chain of care. And this is especially important when there is a crisis. And it's interesting, it is that companies that sort of almost went in the opposite direction when they're in crisis that demonstrate real congruence uh, with values. Because sometimes when there is a crisis, of course, we want to optimize the workforce. And how about, for example, maybe hiring more or investing much more perhaps in the training and development of your workforce, even when you're going through crisis. Because once the crisis has passed, uh, people are much more likely to believe in the organization. So there are lots of things we can do, but also we can do a lot of things on a more local level, I would say, in terms of individual level. And we want people to find meaning in what they're doing, uh, it's really important to sort of invest into them understanding their unique strengths and talents and making sure that they really use their strengths at work. It's really, really important to integrate people well as they arrive. It's also very, very important to realize to what extent individuals' own values are resonating with the values of organization. So, for example, there are studies that show that when we, during the um, engagement um, of, um, of, of, uh, of new workers, for example, get them to reflect on their values, specific values, and get them to consider how their individual values match the organizational values, this is something that actually has very important outcomes for, for them in, in terms of staying 
longer and being more engaged from the beginning. But it's also really essential to engage at the more individual level in terms of getting people to share who they are, getting employees to really share who they are. For example, uh, different background story rituals um, where, for example, we can ask um, our team members, for example, to prepare a little Saichakucha presentation, uh, which is kind of 20 slides over under seven minutes. And once, for example, for each team meeting, we get somebody to present themselves, their background story. So who are you, basically? Who are you outside of work? Who are you in terms of your work trajectory? Who are you? Who are you in seven minutes? And something like this, actually, research demonstrates that this type of practice would help people to make better sense of their own life and that appeals to their own emotions, uh, creates a better relationship. So anything that can basically bring people to show who they really are to themselves and to others would contribute to meaning, meaning making in the workplace. And of course, we can keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I find that particularly interesting because it, you know, it's, some people don't sort of understand what their what the meaning of their life is, do they? They haven't really thought about it. They, you know, sort of That's right. through doing doing whatever and haven't ever really identified that. And um, That's right. it's interesting, as you say, to, 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 to give them the opportunity to encourage them to do that actually has that effect in the workplace as almost as sort of a knock-on effect to, to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly that because it doesn't mean they'll come out of this type of exercise saying, okay, now I know my meaning in life. No, it won't be quite as direct, I would say. But it is, it is reflecting on the journey that helps you to make sense of who you are a little bit and where it is you are going. So it kind of helps you to zone in it a little bit more helps you to understand your own trajectory. So it is the kind of the personal story which helps you make sense of it. And it can be very, very transformative and very powerful. I just had a group of students about a month ago from a business school. And it was really, really interesting because um, I gave them a choice um, on what particular driver they would like to work on. So I gave them a choice. We of considered we looked into engagement, well-being in the workplace, and I gave them a choice out of 20 drivers, what it is would you like to work on? That was really interesting because about 70% of this class of 35 chose individual personal meaning. So I was quite stunned to be perfectly yeah. honest. And they chose, yeah. and it was like the number one choice that each individual voted, and that was number one choice. And basically, when you start working on meaning, of course, now, again, programs at the moment have been working and developing a, a program as well about it called future crafting but the first step the first step is storytelling is making sense of your story and sometimes when you're working face to face you can use lots of images for example that can help so actually almost like bringing images together to describe your story it's really important to do it in relatively small groups to begin with as well but it is the sort of storytelling that is the first step to discovering meaning and then the next step, for example, working and figuring out your values. And next step, figuring out what it is that your strengths, best strengths are. The next step can also be figuring out what it is that brings you really excitement or pleasure in life, etc. This kind of step-by-step process uh, through which mm-hmm. you can try to sort of 
figure out and slowly approach this notion of meaning. So, but sometimes I'm just thinking. Say that again. No, no, sorry, go, go ahead. Sorry. So I'm just you might have you know, cynical line manager listening to this, thinking, I haven't got time for all of that. You know, I'm, I'm running a business here. We're selling widgets and we need um, people to get on and, you know, learn about how to sell widgets and how to provide better customer service and all sort of more um, business focused. Um, uh, sort of learning and development, and and this for some people would be seen to be, um, I don't know, a bit of navel gazing or or you know something mm. in the business development. What what would what would your sort of rebuttal to that be? Yeah, yeah. my response to that would be is that it doesn't need to take long. That's my response. If we know mm. that one of the main drivers of engagement. And then we know engagement does translate to performance, right? We know one of the main drivers of engagement is how people make sense of their own lives. Well, if you invest six or seven minutes of each meeting times the number of people in your team to help them present themselves and make sense of their journey, that's not a huge time investment. <laughs> and we yeah. do know that this is something that contributes dramatically, hugely, to engagement afterwards. Or for example, another, another, I would say even more work adapted, I would say solution, which I really like, it's called the three second share, for example. You know, especially when people are working, working remotely nowadays, it's very difficult for them to even make sense what it is that they're doing and other others in the team don't know what it is that they're doing. And for example, something really simple, extremely simple solution is to kind of, decide on one day as a share day, basically. And we ask each team member, member to record themselves for three seconds every hour, capturing what it is they're doing, what they're on, and then bring basically these three seconds recordings together. So three seconds recordings together, we're talking about 30 seconds clip per person. And then again, mm-hmm. share that with one another. So it doesn't take time. It's actually very, very rapid. So basically three seconds share every hour times eight, so you have 20 seconds, 24 seconds, or 30 seconds, basically, in total. And again, that's a little storytelling about what am I, what am I doing, what my tasks are, which helps the person themselves to make sense of their work journey here and helps other people to understand what they're doing. Because especially in, the, mm-hmm. in hybrid conditions, many of us don't know. I know you're kind of working on something there. I don't know exactly what it is that you are doing. I don't know exactly what it is that you are doing hour after hour. So it's a different type of storytelling. My basic day of my life at work storytelling yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just coming into the last few minutes of the show. What tell us about what the future of positive psychology in business looks like? Well, that's a tricky question, uh, but it's one, one I think. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I, I think when positive psychology started, uh, we always really said that they are going to just work on the sort of positive side of the business in a sense. Uh, we, we're going to work on how to increase engagement or well-being. We're not going to work on how to decrease burnout or how to decrease stress. I think as positive psychology progress, we realize that the two parts are not really easy to separate. So positive psychology, I think, is there together with 
mainstream HR practices together with mainstream organizational psychology is something that would really cover now the whole perspective of how do we sort of basically decrease uh, some parts of the suffering of problems or and address some of the current business issues and problems and how do we increase the positive side of basically workplace functioning. So I think that's one future of positive psychology. It's really the much closer integration with other disciplines like organizational psychology and HR and at the same time really working across the whole spectrum. And I think another part of the future, which I think is really important, is nowadays we have a lot of responses as to what to do. We know why things are happening. We can understand the drivers scientifically. We have lots and lots of solutions as to what can be done. But I think the key, the real key at the moment, is to understand better and invest into implementation science. So I can give lots of advice. We can put lots and lots of solutions in place, for example. But we do know that we come back six months later and sometimes nothing is there anymore because the key person responsible for engagement uh, revolution is gone and moved somewhere else, or they just don't go to a different job somewhere within the organization, so they're, therefore they're no longer responsible for this particular part, etc. And everything that has been put in place is actually sort of fallen down. So I think the next really key question for positive psychology and all related professionals is how to understand what the key absolutely key factors are within the implementation. So we need to ensure a buy-in. We need to work much, much better and much more on experience design, experience design of basically employees' experience, experiential journey. We need to really make sure that we have key players fully engaged with us on our solutions, on solutions that have been found together, and there is a process of the implementation very, very carefully put into place. Because as we know, one of the solutions basically, unfortunately, don't work. It's a systemic approach from the implementation science perspective. So I think for me, the future of positive psychology is moving in this direction and also potentially integrating with more macro approaches, like for example, well-being economy approach, which is really looking at the more underlying policies uh, the, the, the governmental level policies and also the large organizational level policies and bring it together with more focus on the team, group level, individual level, together basically with psychology. Lovely. Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good evening. And just to let you know, next week I've got Advita Patel, who's the founder of Comms Rebel, um, speaking to me, and we're going to be talking about celebrating diversity and driving exceptional employee engagement. So I'll speak to you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.